This sermon was originally preached on 30th of March 1994. We've entitled it A Christian's Commitment and we're reading from Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will tell me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many mighty works? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Everyone, therefore, who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it didn't fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It happened when Jesus had finished saying these things that the multitudes were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them with authority and not like the scribes. And it's a radical choice. Up until now, Jesus Christ has been issuing instructions. It is here, therefore, that he issues the two choices we face when having heard his words. He concludes his sermon with a heart-wrenching application. Previously, he's been talking about false prophets, and this week, false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. Jesus confronts us with himself sets before us the choice between obeying his words and disobeying them. He then proceeds to call us to firm commitment of mind, will and life to himself and his teaching. In verses 21 to 23, he warns us of mere spoken profession and in verses 24 to 27, warns us of a mere intellectual knowledge without any practical knowledge. Each one of these is a substitute for the obedience that Jesus asks, if not demands. And these final two passages are very similar. Both contrast the right and wrong responses to Jesus and his teaching. Both show a definite decision must be made and that nothing replaces an active and practical obedience. The only difference between the passages is that the first is to people who only say they are Christians, and the second is to people who only have an intellectual acceptance of Jesus and his teachings. So firstly, the danger of a merely spoken profession. In verses 21 to 23, the people that Jesus refers to here are those that say they belong to him, but in practice do nothing to change their lives in accordance to his teachings. 
Verse 21 states that not all who say to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Our final destiny will be settled, Jesus says, neither by what we say to him, either today nor on that last day, but whether we practice what he teaches and obey him. It is true, however, that we are to speak about Jesus and his teachings. In Romans 10 verses 9 to 10, Paul wrote that we have to confess with our lips and believe in our hearts. A true profession of Jesus is impossible without the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. Is there anything wrong with calling Jesus Lord? In itself, no. However, if there is no moral and practical application, then it is merely lip service and it is worth nothing. To that group of people who do not talk with truth and profess Jesus without reality will not be saved. People who only live a verbal confession of Christ can be full of courtesy, enthusiasm and orthodoxy in private worship and public ministry and yet live without any of the moral teaching of Christ. Look at the list given, prophecy, casting out demons and doing mighty works in his name. Yet if they do not do the will of the Father and obey and do the teachings of Jesus, then they too will be told to depart from him. These three areas of ministry, prophecy, exorcism and miracles, are the most extreme examples of verbal profession. And yet if these people do not obey Jesus, then they too will be cast from the presence of Jesus. Jesus is not just for their lips, but for their lives. Jesus is not just for us to say we follow him and then not do as he asks, i.e. only paying lip service. It is for us to say we follow Jesus and to do as he has commanded us to do. The difference is between saying we do it and actually doing it. People who pay lip service to God may claim to do mighty works in ministry, but in everyday behaviour, the works done are not good, but evil. And we who claim to be the followers of this Jesus have made professions of Christ in our private conversations and publicly in our baptism. We appear to honour Jesus by referring to him as Lord or our Lord. We say the Lord's Prayer in church and sing songs expressing our love to him. We may even teach in the name of Jesus or mention and use his name in other areas of ministry in the church. Jesus, however, is not impressed by our words, but wants us to do as he has commanded us to do. To be committed to Jesus is to do the will of the Father. He asks for evidence of our sincerity in good works of obedience. And then secondly, the danger of a merely intellectual knowledge. Where the contrast in the last passage was between saying and doing, the contrast is now between hearing and doing. On the one hand, Jesus says that there is this person who hears these words of his and does them, verse 24. And on the other hand, the person who hears these words of his and does not do them, verse 26. To give us a clearer idea of what the contrasts are, he tells a parable well known to us about two builders. The man who built and constructed his house on deeply dug rock is according to Jesus wise. Yet the man who built his house on sand 
without laying a solid foundation is according to Jesus foolish. As both were building, anyone passing by probably would not have noticed any difference between them because the difference was their foundation and foundations could not be seen. Only after a storm, floods and high winds was the basic and fatal difference able to be seen. For the house that was built on rock remained standing, whereas the house built upon sand was destroyed forever. In the same way, people who say they are Christians often look the same, whether they are genuine or fake. It is hard to tell. Both appear to be building solid Christian lives, but Jesus is not comparing professing Christians with non-Christians. What is common to both spiritual house builders is that they hear these words of his. So both are members of the Christian church. Both read the Bible, go to church, listen to sermons and read Christian books. The reason why we cannot tell the difference between them is that the foundations are buried deep and are invisible to us. The question is not whether they hear the word of Jesus, but whether they do the word of Jesus. Only a storm can show the truth. storm of crisis or trouble shows what kind of person we really are. How do we face up to the everyday trials of life? Do we hold up to the values expressed in the Sermon on the Mount? Or do we just act like we used to do before we became Christians? Then thirdly, what is our response? The truth that Jesus would have us learn from these two passages is that a mere intellectual knowledge or verbal acknowledgement can substitute for obedience to his word. The question is not whether we say nice, polite, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words listening, studying, pondering and memorising until our minds are stuffed full of his teaching, but whether we are actually doing what we say and do, what we know to be the truth. In other words, is the lordship of Jesus a reality in our life as seen in our obedience to him? However, this is not teaching that salvation comes through good works or good deeds. No, no, no. Nor is it the way to enter the kingdom of heaven by good works of obedience, because the whole New Testament offers salvation through the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Here Jesus stresses that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith in him will obey him, and therefore express their faith by their works. It is in applying this teaching to our lives that we can consider the reading of the Bible and belonging to the worldwide church. For if we do both of these things, then we have a serious responsibility to ensure that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do and how we live. Jesus places before us radical and life-changing choices. He commands us to be real followers of himself, joining a new culture, the Christian culture, the Christian counterculture, and abandoning the old culture of the world. He repeatedly called his followers to be different from the world they lived in. We, if we are his followers, are to be salt and light in a bland and dark world. 
The world is like food that is rotting, full of bacteria causing it to decay rapidly. As the followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be salt, stopping its decay. The world lives in darkness, a gloomy, dank and shadowy place. Christian disciples are called to be light, throwing out the darkness and the gloom. And then Jesus moves on to more specific areas. Our righteousness is to be so deep that it reaches our hearts, and our love is to be so wide as to cover everybody, including our enemies. Our giving, prayers and fasting are not to be as the Pharisees were, who were boastful, but rather to be real and in secret, so as not to compromise our Christian integrity. For our treasure we are to choose what lasts through all eternity, not that which rots away here on earth. We are to have as our master, God, and not our money or possessions. Our ambition should be our own material security, but the spread of God's rule and righteousness in the world. It is clear throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we are called to imitate our Heavenly Father. He is a peacemaker and loves even the ungrateful and selfish. We are commanded to do the same, copying him and not be the men and people of the world. Then we show to this world and to God that we are truly his sons and daughters. We are offered the the choice, the stark choice, either to follow the crowd in the world or to follow our Father in heaven. We are given the choice of being ruled by the opinions of the world or being mastered by God's word. Jesus draws out for us only two ways. We are either for him or against him. There is no standing with a foot in either side. We have two ways to go, a narrow or a broad gate, and two foundations we can build, either on solid rock or shifting sand. The narrow gate built on rock is the path to life, while the broad gate built on sand leads to death, decay and destruction. The answer to these choices is important, and certainly much more important than our careers or marriage partner. Which road shall we travel on? Which road shall you travel on? And on which foundation will you build your house on? Those who decide for Jesus choose Many the people gate. from all different religions are quite ready to accept in him. the Sermon on the Mount is which one containing wonderful choose? truths. They know that it contains phrases such as blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy or love your enemies or judge not so that you may not be judged or whatever you wish that men would do to you do so also to them. These sayings they say show Jesus as a great moral teacher. However, they are not prepared to acknowledge that he is God and has authority. Yet what hit the first hearers of this sermon was Jesus' authority, verse 29, and it drove them to be astonished by him and his teaching. And if we read it, we too should also be astonished by his teaching. Just like in first century Israel, The Sermon on the Mount goes against everything we are taught through our family, schools and culture. If Jesus therefore has the authority, 
we should not only listen and read it, but also do it. Jesus laid down the law of God, and he expects people to build the house of their lives on his words, and adds that only those who do so are wise and will be safe. He says that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He is both the Lord to be obeyed and the Saviour to give blessing and salvation. He places himself in the judgment seat. He speaks of God as his Father in a unique sense, in a relationship, and implies that what he does, God does, and that what people do to him, they are also doing to God. These claims of Jesus were spoken so naturally, so modestly and indirectly, that many people never even notice them. But they are there, and we cannot, and we should not ignore them. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen that Jesus is Teacher, the Christ, the Lord, the Saviour, the Judge, the Son of God, and God. Either all these things are true, or he was a power-seeking maniac, suffering with some form of insanity. In other words, he was deluded. But the Sermon on the Mount could never be the product of someone who was either insane, deluded, or a seeker of power, because it would go against whatever was taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Our only alternative, then, is to take Jesus Christ at his word and his claims for all that they are worth. The Sermon on the Mount contains the picture for God's alternative society with the standards, values and priorities of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. Too often throughout history, the church has conformed to the pattern set by the world and ignored the pattern required by God and by Jesus Christ. Sometimes there is no difference with the church having lost its saltiness and having had its light put out. It is only as we as the church live the truth set out in the Sermon on the Mount that a true Christian community will be attractive to those outside in the world and let God be glorified. Jesus, therefore, when he calls us, calls us to be the unique Christian culture in a world full of lost culture. So here is a challenge for you. Are you as a Christian heeding Jesus' words and being obedient to them and therefore living a life worthy of being called his follower? A Christian, are you being salt and light amongst those who are in darkness and in a lost culture? And finally, if you would not call yourself a Christian today, and this Jesus appeals to you, this Jesus who speaks with authority, and you want to become a Christian, there are three simple steps to follow. Firstly, admit that you have done wrong against God and his ways. Secondly, believe and trust in Jesus. Call on him, receive trust, obey and worship him, recognizing him for who he is and what he has done, and what he will do. Then lastly, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Once your sin, your wrongdoing has been confessed, and Jesus is believed in and trusted in the Savior, then you are a Christian. Now you are ready, as Peter writes in the Bible, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 Welcome to the family of God. God has chosen you. Jesus Christ has paid for you. 
and he has put his mark within you through his indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you.